Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, October 28th, and we're talking tech earnings and the Pinterest deal that wasn't I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's elated earner of extra extreme extravagance. Oh, Brian Feroldi, I almost got through it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I did it again. I got Dylan again. It must be be He's a tough it one. It must be because we're recording a day early and you're not you're in your game face. <laughs> I'm I'm off my game. Uh we were out of the member live stream, and so perhaps I didn't have my uh my best talking head on, Brian. Maybe that's what it is. I will say the EX is hard. It's a tough one. It'll trip you up. You shouldn't have said that because now every title moving <laughs> forward, it's going to have EXs in them. Uh, you know, I like the tongue twister, though, and I like the challenge. If, if, if we're not being challenged, we're not getting better. Right, that's Brian? That's right. <laughs> uh, we're talking tech earnings today. There's, there's really no shortage of, of interesting results from companies to talk about. Um, Brian, we are also going to follow up on the Pinterest PayPal deal that we talked about last week and basically put that show in the can on Friday. I think we woke up to the news cycle on Monday and basically said that deal's not happening. We're going to get into some of the details there. Um, But first, I figured we would talk about Spotify, and then we're going to talk about Alphabet as well uh, and the earnings they released. Spotify, company that's near and dear to my heart. It is near and dear uh, because it's in my portfolio, uh, something that I bought recently in 2021. Um, and, and I'll just say, uh, pretty awesome quarter for this business. I looked at all the, the top line numbers, uh, looked at the financials, everything came up roses for me. Strong user growth for this business. We're even seeing average revenue per user start to turn around, which is an improvement. Um, a lot of good stuff in this report. The numbers that Spotify just put up are kind of bonkers. 381 million monthly active users. That figure was up 19% year over year. What's truly impressive to me, though, about this company is its conversion rate into paying subscribers. Spotify has 172 million paying subscribers. That's a conversion rate of 45%. Normally, with a business like this that employs a freemium model, I would expect to say if they got 5% of them to convert, that would be an impressive number. So that is something that has always stood out to me about Spotify. It's impressive, and I think what's kind of interesting about this business is uh, I don't know that I have a huge preference when it comes to people being paying subscribers or ad-supported subscribers or ad-supported members uh, or listeners, just because of where this business is going with with its financials. I mean, for a long time, the narrative was uh, average revenue per user is declining. They're focused so much more on long-term value of the people using the platform, feeling like they want to get people in and they're willing to accept lower prices to start. Um, But what we've seen recently is this huge focus on the ad-supported part of their business um, and really bringing advertisers in, creating a solid revenue base, and exploring what they're able to do with data and serving up relevant ads to that free audience. Some of that has been in the podcast side where even paid listeners are getting ads. But I think, Brian, as they mature that business and they turn it into something that's a little bit more interesting, the the free user base that they have actually is a massive opportunity for them. It, it certainly is. And to dig into this numbers some more, total revenue for the quarter was up 27% to 2.9% billion dollars that was ahead of Wall Street's estimate by about a hundred million. But if you double click into that number, we're seeing a similar story and different growth rates, albeit. So the premium members, they generated two point two billion 
of that $2.9 billion in total revenue, that figure was up 22%. But the ad-supported revenue was $320 million. Still not a huge number when compared to the top line, but growing at an outstanding rate, up 75%. So it clearly shows that their focus on that ad-supporting revenue is working. And that's a huge part of the thesis for me with this company. I think one of the things that I struggled with for a long time looking at this business was people love the product. It's it's a pretty awesome value when you really think about it. Like to be able to listen to almost anything you want, download it, have it on your phone uh, for you know ten to fifteen bucks a month, depending on what plan you're on. Uh, you would you would spend so much more than that in the conventional CD model when it came to listening to music, right? It's it's a, an incredible value add, but it's not really a financial model or a business model that the company has all that much control over because they have to pay those royalties out. And so you'd love to see them establish this base of revenue that scales and that they're able to enjoy operating leverage on. It's not, you know, they're paying a fixed percentage of that for every dollar that's coming in out to royalties. That ad revenue gives them that opportunity. Yeah, the company had its gross margin actually expand during the quarter, which was nice to see by two two full percentage points. And that two full percentage points really matters because to your point, this is a fairly low margin business. In the most recent quarter, that gross margin came in at 26.7%. And given the fees that they have to pay to access that premium music content, I think it is fair to say that any gross margin expansion from here is going to have to come from the ad supported side of the business. So it's nice to see that that thesis is working. Yeah, and we got a little color on the dynamics there from management during the conference call. Uh, they said, you know, free music margins are below premium music margins. And I think if they are going to be able to add incremental advertising revenue, not just in their podcasting business, um, but also bring any wins they have over there onto the free side with better targeting, that's going to help margins. So I, I think for the most part, we're seeing that the the premium uh, business is the driver of margins and is going to kind of dictate things for right now. But it's it's upside that they have control over, which gets me really excited. And everything I hear from management is the roadmap for the ad-supported revenue just continues to check off milestones and keep working towards what they want to be doing. Um, they said that segment meaningfully outperformed, driven by higher sold impressions, increased CPMs, and accelerated demand within their advertiser network. And this is broad-based strength, particularly in the U.S. and United Kingdom, which you love to see because those are the two most important ad markets, North America and Europe. Great to see. The other thing that's worth noting here is that while they are still spending like crazy, they are starting to produce operating income, $14 million for the quarter, which was the second time in in a row. When combined with the strong growth of the company and the fact that it's become profitable, at least on the operating level, that is a bull case for investors. Yeah, it's it's. Something to be excited about, which which uh, you know I certainly am, and it's why it's in my portfolio. Um, I think we're still very much in the early innings when it comes to this ad-supported revenue. Management in their in their conference call pointed out linear radio still has about half of the share of audio listening in the United States, and more than sixty percent of all audio ad spending is going to go to traditional radio. And Brian, I mean, if you think about that ad spend and the level of targeting you're able to do there you don't have nearly the level of granularity that you would with a digital platform like Spotify. To say nothing of the fact that when you are listening to an ad on your phone, the the producer can actually also put links in there that can actually take you to the page to make a purchase. That's not something that you can do if you're listening to traditional linear radio. So there is a lag, just like we saw with uh, with print uh, money that was spent on print advertising slowly move online. We're seeing that same dynamic in the in the listening market. So I'm sure that five years from now, ten years from now, almost all of the money in this market is going to be going to podcasting. 
Yeah, and I mean the the, the ad supported model continues to look strong. It's it's in the double digit percentage now as as a kind of overall composition of revenue for the business. Um, management said they at least think that this will be twenty percent of revenue. Could be thirty or forty percent in the next five to ten years. So they they see this dramatically increasing over time. I think that's going to play into margins over time as well. The the tough part with these ad based businesses, Brian, is you kind of have to go through a little bit of an ugly period with scale, and you have to you know eat a lot of cost. And some of that's going to be salespeople, and some of it's just going to be the platform building this network that connects advertisers and inventory. Well, that's a long term. Uh, that's a long term payoff that Spotify is willing to make, and I think that that is the right thing to do for the business uh, uh, over time. That's just something that we see a lot of companies have to do. They have to take short-term pain in order to deliver long-term returns. But if you're an investor, you should be rooting that on. Yeah, definitely. And and I think what what's kind of cool is you can really track how all these pieces move together for this business. Um, you know, they they emphasize podcasting and they have that free music listener base that is going to be served up ads. But podcasting is a huge piece of the ad inventory pie for them. Um, and they call out three years ago, their catalog had under 200,000 podcasts. And they were, I would say, a rounding error for a lot of people in how they counted the industry. Today, Brian, over 3 million podcasts on the platform. Um, and they have very quickly moved from being someone who is thought of as a music streamer to really one of the dominant, if not the dominant, uh, players in podcasting. I can just speak for myself and said I resisted downloading Spotify for years simply because I've used Apple's podcasting app gleefully uh, since I started listening to podcasts over a decade ago at this point. Just within the last few months, I actually did switch over to using Spotify specifically because there were some podcasts that I could no longer access on Apple's network. So Spotify got me as a customer. Yeah, I think they were able to nudge people with the exclusivity, bringing some shows over and saying, you got to listen to them in Spotify's skin. Um, I also think that this might be a story of someone being smaller and more focused versus a much larger business that has a lot going on and more to manage. And maybe that offering isn't as in focus for you know company management, and it's not as much of a priority. I mean, you're able to be so much faster, so much more nimble when you have a single goal. And sometimes that can look like you're a small fish going up against a big fish. Uh, but it also means that you can probably bring things to users a little bit faster than, than an Apple might. There is benefits to having hyper-focus on one thing, even if that one thing just looks like a feature on somebody else's product. Yeah. And I think looking forward, I'm excited about this business because of so much what we just talked about with the dynamics of the ad business, the strength of their core subscription model, of course, as well. If you look at the company guidance, though, Brian, they, they put out a big number that I think is really just a, this business is not going anywhere type number. And it's that they're targeting 400 million monthly active users by the end of the year. That's where they see this going. And I think, you know, there have been concerns about this company for a while and the competitive pressure from the likes of Apple. Um, you know, just wondering, you know, can can something that is kind of a feature in someone else's ecosystem really be a standalone business? I think at 400 million monthly active users, they've reached the critical mass of scale that you can kind of safely put that one on the side. For sure. And the even more exciting thing about that is if, if you compare that 400 million potential users to the number of smartphones that are uh, smartphone users that there are globally which is measured in the billions even from that huge number there's still upside yeah and we i think tend to overstate the um the impact and reach of apple's ecosystem being in north america you know the the prevalence of the ios 
platform is is huge in North America. But if you go to other parts of the world, and if you look at the breakdown of, of users for Spotify, North America is a very large part of it, but it is a piece of the pie. Um, and for the most part, you're looking internationally uh, for, for folks uh, and most of their users. Um, you're going to find that there are a lot more Android users internationally. And that's a huge opportunity for Spotify. The ARPU might be lower for some of those folks, but if you're thinking about acquisition and long-term growth of the platform, um, that's that's a massive opportunity and, and a place where they have a lot less com- competition from Apple. Certainly is. The international opportunity remains massive for, for the company. I mean, I can just speak for myself. I still have friends to this day that I ask if they listen to podcasts and they say no because they don't know how to listen to podcasts, right? I was like, you ever click that button on your phone that says podcasts? <laughs> it's uh, it's worth checking out. So yeah, podcasts, while they have gone mainstream, I'm confident there's still a lot of potential users out there that haven't even discovered the medium yet. You know what? That also means that there are a lot of potential industry-focused listeners out there that have not yet discovered the medium, right? It's like, come on, man. I, just, I do this thing once a week. Just tune in. <laughs> Um, Brian, we, we can't talk ads without also talking Alphabet. Uh, some some pretty killer earnings from them. And and I think this is a business that if you haven't been closely paying attention to, um, you kind of forget how impressive the numbers are coming out of it. Google's numbers are just unbelievable. There's no real other word for them. At the size and scale this company is operating at, the fact that it just grew its revenue by 41% during the quarter is outstanding. Uh, This company just put up $65 billion in quarterly revenue. That beat Wall Street's estimate by almost $2 billion. How many companies can you say had a $2 billion quarterly revenue beat? Just outstanding. What's equally exciting is the rest of the income statement looked fantastic as well. Gross margin was up 330 basis points during the quarter to 57.6%. There is some accounting wonkiness that helped to drive that number, which we'll get into a little bit, but still very impressive. Meanwhile, while the company still continues to spend like crazy, expenses only grew 26% during the quarter. That was much slower than revenue. So as a result, Operating income grew 80% to $21 billion. Net income grew 69% to $18.9 billion. And thanks to some stock buybacks, which actually reduced the share count, earnings per share grew 71% to almost $28, beating the estimate by $4.75. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Those numbers are outrageous. I mean, they they really are. Like for for a two nearly two trillion dollar business to be putting up forty percent top line growth and seventy percent net income growth. Um, I don't know that we've ever in human history seen businesses this big grow this fast. Absolutely not. And what's equally exciting is you put you dig into really any of their core properties and they're all growing uh, very, very quickly. Uh, search uh, up 44%. Google's networks up 40%. Google's av- That gave uh, Google services up 41%. Google Cloud up 45%. Uh, YouTube uh, up 43%. And interesting tidbit about YouTube, YouTube's quarterly revenue was $7.2 billion. That figure again, it was up 40% year over year. That is knocking on the door of where Netflix is. Netflix, uh, during the most recent quarter, did total revenue of $7.5 billion. And Netflix is only growing 16% per year. YouTube growing 40% per year. So YouTube is quickly approaching becoming the new king of streaming. 
it's really incredible. And I think you can lose sight of in some of these larger businesses, just how impressive some of these smaller, quote unquote, smaller segments, $7 billion segment YouTube um, is and really what they would look like as a standalone company. Yeah, if you annualize that number and do, what was that, 29 roughly billion dollars in revenue, I mean, what kind of price to sales multiple would uh, a business like that fetch? At least 10, maybe even 20 uh, in today's market. So YouTube itself could be a three, four, five hundred billion dollar business on its own. Yeah, and and it's just one prong of this incredibly attractive business, right? We have we have YouTube, and we have just all of the natural search interest <laughs> that that uh, Google is able to garner with its core search properties. And then, oh by the way, yeah, we have we have a cloud business as well, Brian. And that cloud business is rapidly growing. Uh, it is one of the big three cloud businesses. Importantly, it is still losing money. Google is trying to scale it so rapidly that it's producing operating losses. So during the quarter. Google's cloud business resulted in a $644 million net loss. That was actually cut in half from the year ago period. So the business is reaching scale rapidly and it should start producing operating cash flow soon. But still, given the growth and the opportunity ahead for cloud, we want the company to make in those kind of investments. Yeah, and they're coming into that spot um, per- perhaps in a, in a tough position in some ways because we've, we've gotten so used to cloud segments being... Uh, this incredible operating segment that lifts up the financials of these big tech companies. Uh, and, you know, I mean, AWS went from, you know, what is that to the whole thesis for Amazon very quickly. I think Microsoft's kind of similar where, you know, we, we see it as this uh, cash cow type business um, coming in a little bit later in the game uh, and having to steal market share rather than kind of possess that market share. It puts you in a tougher spot as a competitor. Yeah, but Google does not need that business to drive any financial <laughs> results because it has a cash printing machine uh, that, that is search. Uh, so it can continue to fund that uh, like crazy, which I think is the right move. Now, one thing to that's worth noting in the company's uh, 2021 results was that they changed the way that they calculate depreciation on some of their networking equipment. Previously, they were depreciating that network equipment at a three-year uh, over a three-year period, they decided to change that to over a five-year period. As a result, their de- depreciation expense has gone down, which has the effect of making their net income look a little bit higher. So that is one wonky accounting change that is kind of pushing their near-term margins up. Still, even if you r- remove that uh, effect, the numbers were just very impressive across the board. Yeah, I'm not too too concerned about something like that, right? <laughs> um, the I think if there's ever an area to kind of scrutinize this company, it's the other bets segment, Brian. I know you know uh, over over the years, um, it's gone from this kind of fantastical factory that people think, oh, there's this upside. You kind of have this like this venture arm of this business looking for moonshot type projects, 10x type opportunities. Um, we, we've seen some interesting stuff there, but I think generally the narrative has been this is a financial drain for this business. Yeah, it still is. The company did report $182 million in revenue for the quarter. That figure was only up 2% over the year ago period, but it is a financial drain. The company's, uh, the operating income from that second segment was negative uh, $1.3 billion. So as of yet, we are still growth investors are still waiting for something to come out of there that really shows that those investments are going to pay off. We still have some waiting to do. Yeah. And I think if there is a recognizable name from that other bet segment or some of those more futuristic investments, it's the Waymo segment, that mobility segment, the driverless cars segment. Um, 
we see a lot of headlines, and I think over the last couple of years we've seen a lot of headlines about Waymo. Uh, we keep getting those like inch forwards in progress, um, but perhaps not the the self driving headlines that the likes of Tesla get as regularly. Yeah, they did call out that Waymo is testing uh, rider programs in San Francisco. That's in addition to its fully autonomous ride hailing business that is currently operating in Phoenix. Uh, next year, they're going to be doing a dedicated trucking trucking hub in the Dallas Fort Worth area to help them get into the freight business. Waymo still does have massive uh, potential uh, long term, but they are going up against the likes of Tesla, which has, in theory, a massive advantage on the data side of things. So, yeah, to your point, I love this company that it's made all those investments in, in those other bets and it continues to be willing to pour money into them. At this point, I would have liked to see one payoff, but on the flip side, YouTube alone has been a grand slam home run of unbelievable proportions. So if you're a Google shareholder, you can't be anything but happy. Yeah, I don't think you can fault their capital allocation too, too much. I mean, with with the sheer amount of income that they're producing, um, they have to take some investment bets and just look for things that have some really large upside. And, you know, for a business that in a single quarter puts up $65 billion, uh, you need something that's substantial in order for it to really move the needle. And so they have to be some big, hairy goals. Um, a lot of those aren't going to pan out, but you hope that there is some kind of like lottery ticket type business in there somewhere. There likely is to be, and management did call on the call that they're currently making big investments in Africa for to get uh, more consumers online there. They're making investments in AI. They're building out their own uh, metaverse. So Google has plenty of things in the hopper that could pay off over the next couple of years. But in the, in the, in the near term, the next couple of years, there results are going to be driven by YouTube and search. So, Brian, I think the natural question when you see a business that's worth $2 trillion, you know, as companies get bigger and bigger, is, uh, is, it, is it too big to put up meaningful returns? You know, uh, And I think a lot of Alphabet shareholders are probably pretty delighted over the last year because this was a, a company for a little while, like was, it was up and to the right. Um, it was rewarding shareholders, perhaps not as aggressively as some of its big tech counterparts. Um, but over the past year, almost sitting on a double for, for a business its size. I look at it, $2 trillion business, growing 40% year over year. Uh, this one is happily staying in my portfolio. I, I have no intentions of, of selling it anytime soon. Um, I'm curious, though, what your, what your take yeah. is. Ditto for me too. I mean, I always look at the companies like this growth rates, and as long as they're putting up double-digit revenue growth, uh, that's what I really expect from these companies. And if you look at Alphabet, not only is it putting up expected to put up 39% total growth this year, Wall Street is estimated this company is going to put up 17% revenue growth next year. So as big as this company is, as huge as it's become, as great as it's done long term, I still think there's reasons to believe in this company is going to do just fine for its shareholders. Yeah, one of several companies that have just kind of continued to defy the law of large numbers. I think if you'd bought a, a portfolio of Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft and Amazon and just forgot about it for a little while, you're probably feeling pretty good. Uh, and I think that's probably the case going forward too, Brian. Yeah, Google is very much in my <laughs> never sell uh, portfolio, the never sell portion of my portfolio. I've actually owned Google stocks for going on 12 years now. Hope to make it another 12. That'd be great. <laughs> Um, before we wrap, Brian, I want, want to touch on two companies that we also both own, uh, PayPal and Pinterest. Last week, we were talking about a proposed deal. Um, there were rumors that PayPal would be buying Pinterest. Um, we have an update on that, and it seems like that deal is not happening. 
Yeah, and we noted in the show that normally when rumors of that scale are floated out there, they usually, or more often than not, are correct. This would appear to be one of those cases when it was not correct. So PayPal did put out a press release uh, earlier this week saying, quote-unquote, in response to market rumors regarding a potential acquisition of Pinterest by PayPal, PayPal stated that it is not pursuing an acquisition of Pinterest at this time. Uh, when that news did hit the, the wire, PayPal stock went up a little bit. Pinterest stock got whacked. I mean, the reported takeout price of the of the rumor was somewhere around $70 per share. Last week, Pinterest was trading in the low 60s in response to that. Today, it's trading in the mid-40s. So investors were really disappointed to see that this deal didn't go through. Yeah, and, and I think it makes sense. There are probably a, a good number of folks after the tremendous ride that, that the company had been on for the last year and a half or so um, that have been a little frustrated with where it's been for the last, you know, six to eight months. Um, I'm certainly one of those people who, you know, has a position that's sitting in the red. Um, I will say as, as a Pinterest shareholder, I'm kind of happy that this deal didn't go through. Uh, also, as a PayPal shareholder, I'm kind of happy that this deal didn't go through. Uh, I think there's upside here for Pinterest. Um, and I did kind of have some doubts about strategically how it fits into PayPal. Um, I don't look at this as a failure in any sense. You know, I, I think, you know, it's it's two quality businesses. Um, they don't always necessarily make one quality business when put together. Yeah, I think that that that's that's fair. And Pinterest at the the current uh, current prices is only a thirty billion dollar company. I say only because I continue to believe that its platform is very monetizable, especially when compared to some of the other uh, social media platforms that are out there. And again, for a sense of scale, Facebook, even though it's come under a lot of pressure, stock prices under a lot of pressure recently, that is almost a nine hundred billion dollar company. So the question I ask myself as a Pinterest shareholder is. Is there room between Pinterest's $30 billion market cap and Facebook's $900 billion market cap for Pinterest to continue to grow? I still think the answer is yes. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, if you wanted to aim a little lower, but still show what that upside looks like, you know, Snap is almost a $90 billion company, you know, which is a, a 3x from where Pinterest is. Uh, still, Pretty early on in the monetization efforts, there they've they've been able to enjoy a lot of success with the switch over to programmatic. But I think there are a lot of similarities where this is a a business that has a really dedicated and interested user base, one that is not growing or nearly at the scale of the likes of Facebook, um, has still proven to create a pretty solid business and put up some really awesome returns uh, for people that bought in a little bit earlier. Yeah, so like like you, it was noteworthy that the company wasn't going through with the acquisition, but when I find a company that checks a lot of boxes for me, I hate it when they get uh, acquired, especially after they've only been public for a little while. So I'm going to continue to be a shareholder of Pinterest, although I do recognize that the next quarter or two might be a little rough. Yeah, it, it could be that there's more pain ahead, but um, and I'll, I'll go back to that that snap um, parallel. I mean, that was a business that we we dogged on the show, and we talked about the the struggles that they had, um, and some of the kind of uh, more sensational elements of you know the business that came public and some of the corporate governance issues. Um, it was in the doldrums for quite some time. I think a lot of people who bought shortly after it came public were in the red for almost two years, and before it went on to provide multi bagger returns for a lot of people. So there's there's upside there, and I think focus on the ARPU. Focus on the monetization efforts, and you'll probably be pretty happy. Um, I think Brian, it's also it's it's a helpful reminder of why we are long-term investors here at the Fool. Um, I remember in a previous job, um, we had a a merger arbitrage uh, segment that was basically people that were focused on identifying opportunities in mergers and acquisitions. And my boss said to me, 
you know, I got to be honest. I don't really know why we do this. It feels like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. <laughs> and and I think it's it's a very good way to describe any short-term movements that you're trying to make related to companies being bought or not bought. Yeah, if you were trying to buy Pinterest last week in the low 60s with the hopes of a deal would be coming through in the, in the 70s, thinking there's an arbitrage opportunity here. If that was your entire thesis, boy, did that get blasted apart with one press release. Yeah. And, you know, for, for PayPal, there was clearly some pessimism around the deal. Uh, and look, quickly rebounded uh, immediately after the news broke that it was not happening. So, uh, you know, that's that's why we're business focused. That's why our thesis is based on uh, where this business is going over the next couple of years, hopefully decades. Um, and just a reminder, don't don't over index to the news too, too much. I saw a great quote recently by Tom Gaynor, the chief investment officer at Markel. And he says, I'm a long term investor because I don't know how to be a short term investor. <laughs> I think that's right. It's it's too much work, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's it's the lazy way of doing things, and and I'm happy to be lazy in that sense. I'm Brian. right there with you, Dylan. <laughs> Brian, thanks as always for joining. Have me. a great weekend, Dylan. You too, man. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say hey, shoot us an email industryfocus at pool.com or tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on! 